Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Squires from Fidelity Investments, host of FinPoint, our podcast that explores new thinking and ideas behind delivering value and driving growth in today's wealth management industry. I am so excited to be here today to bring you episode one of our second season of FinPoint. And wow, a lot has changed. We're actually recording these episodes remotely from our homes against the very sad backdrop of COVID-19 and how much our world has changed. Many of you tuned in previously. You may remember that last season, we focused on Fidelity's Advice Value Stack. Inspired by Bain & Company's Elements of Value, the Advice Value Stack introduced the new drivers to help advisors meet the changing needs of investors and ultimately deliver more value to their clients. Let's do a quick recap. Recall that the Advice Value Stack has four layers. Managing the money at the bottom of the pyramid, achieving goals right above that, Next comes peace of mind, and finally, fulfillment, which is the very top of the advice value stack. Each layer of the value stack is made up of elements of value. Investors assign value to these elements based on their personal needs. The more elements of value an advisor can deliver, the more an investor will value their advice. The more investors value advice, the stronger the advice relationship can become. And the stronger that relationship, the more advisors can validate their fees and the services that they deliver. Now, in addition, it's important to remember that the advice value stack is relevant and reliable even when financial markets themselves become less predictable in times of crises, certainly like we're in now. That's when clients are looking to their advisors to support their immediate needs and remain a trusted resource. The bottom line is this. Advisors need to do more than just manage the money. They also need to spend more time on the top three layers of the advice value stack in order to satisfy the evolving needs of customers. In this season of FinPoint, we turn to activating the advice value stack by using the growth engines. Essentially, the growth engines are four strategic drivers to help firm leaders and advisors deliver the elements of value in order to grow their client base and sustain their business. Before we delve deeper into the four growth engines, I'd like to introduce my guest today, Mike Durbin, head of Fidelity Institutional. Mike, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, absolutely, Mark. Hello. It's uh, great to be here. I'm delighted to have been invited, and I really look forward to our discussion. Me too. Me too. Thanks so much. So before we move into the growth engines, Mike, talk to me a little bit about the current wealth management landscape. What are you seeing out there that sets the stage for creating value for customers? How does it open up growth opportunities? And I would suggest that probably what you're going to share is different than you might have three months ago. Uh, Yeah, sure. I mean, gosh, Mark, uh, where to begin with an opening question like that? So, you know, we know that the events of recent weeks have altered the landscape for advisors and investors, and things are changing faster than ever in wealth management. Uh, The good news is that the advice value stack and the growth engines that we're going to dig into can help firms respond faster to customer needs and preferences. So even before the COVID-19 crisis, there were several shifts uh, underway that were opening up both opportunities and creating challenges for firms. Uh, uh, Perhaps one of the bigger structural shifts we're seeing in the wealth management industry is around how firms are charging for their services. The revenue model on which we all rely is evolving. Of course, some would say dissolving. Uh, The race to zero fees and commissions was just one marker along the way of this prevailing trend. So unlike many other industries, the way we charge increasingly does not equate to or correlate to the value that we're trying to provide for clients. 
there's a lot of price compression and compartment, compartmentalization of investment management going on and upstart competition from the ever-growing array of fintech providers. So sort of begs the question, how long can this model continue? This model of uh, how we earn revenue being increasingly detached for where we're deploying our expenses or investments to sort of augment the, the, the value prop that we're putting out there. Moving on from that, uh, the M&A landscape and wealth management uh, marks another ongoing evolution. So in the REA channel alone, as you know, deal activity was up again in 2019, fairly materially from 2018. Uh, and we see M&A likely to continue across all wealth management channels as firms wrestle with finding that requisite scale. And, and need to increasingly consolidate to create competitive service models. Now there's a market-driven pause to that rate of M&A right now, given everything that's going on, but, but that pause is still within this prevailing tailwind of secular momentum still around uh, the, the pace of M&A. And all this is happening in tandem with financial market shifts and other overlapping trends that we often talk about, including the unprecedented transfer of wealth from one generation to the next, changing expectations around instant advice, and using technology to deliver a, a better and increasingly personalized client experience. Perfect tee-up, Mike, and it leads us right into my opening question, which, you know, in looking at how the advice value stack and the new growth engines come together, it seems to me that the value stack represents what customers value most, and the growth engines are practical levers to help firms deliver on that value to pursue growth. A little bit of what versus how. Does that seem like an accurate description? That's exactly right, Mark. Uh, the growth engines do represent that how. Firms can deliver what investors want. Uh, basically, once we introduced the Fidelity Advice Value Stack, now, you know, a few years ago, many of our clients asked for the specific insights on how to organize their firms and practices and initiatives around their desire to get up that value stack as we were preaching. And these growth engines do represent, we think, are the four key strategies on precisely how to do that. And what I would share there is that, you know, as a, as, a, as a firm and as a team, I know what we share is that we don't like to stand in front of a bunch of advisors and only preach the what. You know, this is, this is what you should do or shouldn't do. This is really a manifestation of our focus to always uh, partner the what with great insight on exactly how our advisors can do some of these things. So that's where we are here. Great. So let's, without further ado, let's spend a moment on each of the four growth engines. So we have sustainability quotient digital quotient, intelligence quotient, and emotional quotient. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about each of these growth engines. Uh, sure, absolutely. Let's maybe start with uh, sustainability quotient or SQ. And this is a firm's ability to build and maintain a healthy, growing, and enduring organization. Uh, and I would submit this topic could not be any more relevant than right now. So talk a little bit, if you would, about what sustainability quotient looks like in, in practical reality for firms. Sure. So um, your SQ is reflected in how you enable ongoing strength and business continuity in your practice. So, so for instance, you know, what actions have you taken to ensure industry relevance, as primal as that may sound to some? How do you differentiate yourself from competitors in terms of your value prop and its positioning? Are you using segmentation and analytics to identify which customers are most and least profitable for your firm and therefore you know, direct your attention accordingly? 
So does sustainability quotient include both internal planning as well as external execution? Uh, yeah, it does. It's a great question. So in addition to outside, you know, market positioning and, and marketing tactics, SQ also measures your own firm's resilience. Uh, so, you know, by specific example, how fast was your firm able to make the move to remote work at the onset of the, you know, the COVID-19 crisis? Uh, what steps are you taking to sustain or increase your firm's enterprise valuation? And then things like overall talent management, I and mean, that's a really big one, big element of SQ. Have you identified and vetted your firm's successors? What's your plan for retaining top talent or continuing to recruit the next generation of advisors? And I'd say finally, SQ extends to a firm's preparedness in terms of security and system safety as well. Things like, you know, you're keeping tools up to date and continuing to train your associates on risk and risk mitigation practices. And do you ensure that you have effective data management strategies and ever increasingly sophisticated cybersecurity tools and protocols? I mean, it should, I think it goes without saying that while all of us, you know, sort of reacting to a global t pandemic, it didn't mean that the world's cyber criminals are giving us a pass and putting down the, the, the tools of their trade during this period. So, you know, we have to stay ever vigilant there. Yeah, for sure. Mike, is it safe to say that firms should think of the, the sustainability quotient as foundational, table stakes, absolutely must have to get right? Uh, absolutely. Uh, there's a sequence, you know, we see to, to, to the engines and we do see uh, SQ as that foundation. Okay, fantastic. All right, and a good bridge to our next of the four growth engines, digital quotient. That's right, digital quotient or DQ. Uh, it's a term coined by McKinsey as a means for measuring an organization's performance across several key dimensions of a firm's digital maturity. And digital maturity is a term that, that we talk about a lot. Um, and digital quotient, I think, is indicative of your ability to optimize technology and maybe embrace this digital transformation. Uh, exactly. But I'm glad you raised both because uh, a firm's DQ is not only reflected in just the tech solutions that a firm employs, but also doesn't encompass the firm's overall efforts to embrace and, you know, cultivate the advantages that technology can deliver across an organization. Maybe say a bit more about that. Yeah, sure. I know that's a mouthful. So, you know, right now, most of us are using technology to enable our digital processes, like right now. <laughs> it's, of course, it's critical right now. But from there, exactly, you know, how do you want to optimize digital business to either further improve or, in fact, transform, you know, your practice's performance? You know, technology can add significant value for firms without changing a company's core business model. As a growth engine, you know, we see uh, DQ is about using technology to improve productivity, raise existing revenue streams, and maybe create a better and more convenient customer experience that actually could spawn new revenue streams. And all three can be done concurrently thanks to what we call really great scale enablers like artificial intelligence, machine learning, and data aggregation. And it's, it's these scale enablers that I think we're at the very early uh, stage of, but I think really offer the most promise. And I think we're firms will see these enablers come together, which I alluded to earlier, is when we're really delivering hyper-personalization at scale. And the upside that hyper-personalization can present for this industry, it's, it's when we're going to be able to sort of uh, note sentiment in the customers we serve, note intention of the customers we serve, so that yes, we can drive ever-responsive sort of in, uh, processes and, and value props, but ultimately responsiveness should also graduate to pro, you know, proactivity. 
And it are these scale enablers like AI and machine learning and having access to really great data where I think we're going to really uh, surprise and delight uh, the clients that we serve through this hyper-personalization. So let me take a stab at a summary here. Tell me if I have this right. So digital quotient includes your tech investments to improve client experience, generate new revenue streams, as you said, but it's also about resource allocation and tapping into the ecosystem of digital providers like us at Fidelity. Yes. I mean, those are the things that elevate DQ and and help to make ongoing digital transformation possible as firms deliver advice in the ways that investors need and want and will value. So, Mike, before we go to the third growth engine, I'm just curious, when you think across the spectrum of industries that we all work with, both personally and professionally, how do you think about financial services and our sophistication with DQ? Uh, it's, it's a great question. It's, it's tough to generalize, as you know. There's, there's such a broad spectrum of models and providers that are out there. You know, in general, I think our industry has come up the curve quickly around a key component of DQ, which are these enabling tech solutions. The ecosystem of financial technology providers has just exploded over the last decade. And I think firms are doing a really good job deploying some of these solutions. But I'd say as an industry, we still have a long way to go to deliver on the full promise of the full end-to-end or full enterprise-wide implications of a really robust digital strategy and therefore digit, you know, DQ, uh, great component parts, but we still have a ways to go to sort of stitch it together and then. Okay, fair enough. So brings us to number three, third growth engine, intelligence quotient. Talk to us about that. Yeah, intelligence quotient or IQ, uh, as the name might imply. I mean, it's a firm's ability to give clients access to the raw advice, intelligence, the information they need to make good, confident decisions across a range of investment options, market scenarios, and market conditions, and financial planning situations. So, uh, maybe a core capability that the industry was built on in terms of information advantage and the ability to, say, place trades, construct portfolios, manage investments. That's right. I mean, in some respects, this is the gray matter, you know, of of our industry. And uh, when we experience market volatility and declines like we've been experiencing of late, customers are quick to look to their advisors, which is great for expertise as well as assurance. Um, but but IQ as a growth engine is much more than that. Uh, as the traditional information advantage held by wealth managers has become increasingly democratized, i.e. we don't have the same information advantage as an industry over the customers that we serve today that we might have a decade or certainly two decades ago. Uh, Future-leaning firms and advisors are shifting away from relying exclusively on their own personal expertise and industry knowledge. Instead, they're moving toward approaches that offer greater value for clients for some meaning um, bringing in uh, or or beginning to act more as information curators, not just information and providers. And in fact, bringing together intelligence from a broader network of experts, not just themselves, but bringing in outsiders like insurance brokers, estate planners, tax experts, and philanthropy advisors. So an important point there, it includes, you know, your ability to curate specialty intelligence as well as outsource elements of your service that are not in your core competency because in reality, you got it. who can do you it all? You got it. That, that's exactly right. And, and to be clear, you know, this industry, we're going to continue to rely on proprietary intelligence and expertise to help investors make good choices and navigate financial markets. But, but we'll need to continue to see these fundamental shifts in how we demonstrate and deliver this IQ as a growth engine for firms exactly as you said. 
which is to be open to outsourcing, increasingly curating these other, you know, great pools of intelligence that can be drawn upon. And what an amazing change that is from not even so many years ago where the expectation was you did do it all. It's almost been dumped on its head. That's exactly right. And I, again, I, I think it's still early stages there. And just as a real life example, I mean, obviously as a firm like Fidelity, we take our sort of cyber readiness, you know, quite seriously, but you know, we, we take our, our, some of the experts in our cyber team, as you know, and we make them available uh, to clients as well. You know, I, I like to use the expression, all 48,000 associates at Fidelity at one point or another, you're all eligible to be practice management consultants. You all have an expertise to share into this ecosystem. And, you know, nothing's been more acutely productive than the ability to share our expertise in, in, in cybersecurity, you know, with the clients that we serve. And even another example of that, perhaps tell me if you agree, is, you know, a consultation on real estate strategy. We've got 50,000 plus employees across the entire world. And I think sometimes clients lead us to get that intellectual capital as well. You got it. Good example. Perfect. All right. So we're rounding the bend here. Fourth and final growth engine. Let's do it. Yeah, that's uh, emotional quotient or EQ. Uh, and EQ is very similar to emotional intelligence that, that folks like to talk about as well. And, you know, it's evident in uh, a firm or an, or an individual's ability to understand client needs, respond to their emotions and con- convey empathy. Uh, and EQ is certainly uh, top of mind now when many of our, the clients that we ultimately serve are experiencing pretty deep concern and uncertainty that extends well beyond just their investment portfolio. So therefore, you know, advisors with high EQ adopt principles more of life coaching and behavior modification and behavioral economics. Uh, But they also exhibit and embody valuable interpersonal skills such as active listening. Uh, And what EQ really comes down to is an advisor's ability to, again, understand the needs of a client and demonstrate genuine value during the moments that matter most in a client's life. You know, are you able to engage with clients about their livelihood and even their health and well-being? Do they reach out to you when they are thinking about elder care, planning to get married, or sending their kids off to college? All those moments have really significant financial implications. EQ enables advisors to provide, you know, reliable, uh, complete support uh, that the clients need throughout their lives. And in particular, in these more acute moments that really matter. You know, it seems to me having a really, really solid EQ helps in the march towards the highest level of the value stack to fulfillment. Is that fair? That's very fair. And just as a, as a, Personal aside, um, you know, I have an ex- extended family member of mine that, you know, two years ago was transitioning from a, a, an advice, advisor provider to a new advisor provider. So transitioning to a new advice relationship. And she made very clear to this inheriting advisor that uh, she was seeking peace of mind around a specific personal matter first. It had nothing to do with, you know, transitioning the assets and getting the right asset allocation in place. She needed help on a, on a far more, you know, personal matter. And the advisor just did an unbelievable job over-indexing all these initial interactions to just ensuring peace of mind. Imagine how much more quickly that advisor is going to get my family member up the value stack having established that sort of rapport and foundation. And the likely loyalty that will ensue there. That's right. So critically important, can a firm actively cultivate EQ, do you think? 
Yeah, they, they can. Yes. Um, you know, firms with high EQ, they, they develop cultures that are open and inclusive. They adopt compensation systems and performance and reward frameworks that are designed to identify, recruit and retain purpose-driven professionals. And, and this industry is going to need a lot more purpose-driven professionals over time. So EQ is well worth cultivating and it is possible to cultivate and increasing or maintaining a high EQ if you have it within your firm is really the, this critical part, as we're saying, of finding new ways to serve clients at these higher levels of the advice value stack. All right, great. So in terms of tying the fourth growth engines together, are they meant to help deliver value on multiple levels of the advice value stack And we think of the four, four layers? That's right. You've got it. So while EQ may be more relevant at the higher levels of the advice value stack, as we're talking about here, and IQ may more naturally help guide actions and decisions for managing the money at that base layer of the value stack, each of the four growth engines can be deployed across the entire you know, value stack. So as you look to employ the growth engines to move up that stack and deliver this incremental value to customers, you may identify some strategies that complement your existing strengths and others that serve as new opportunities to really have you flex new muscle systems here. What I would say is, you know, please remember that growth engines are not, you know, dependent upon any one market condition. Each can be thought of on a more of a continuum or sliding scale. They can operate independently or in tandem to help you focus your efforts on activities that will best help you deliver the value you intend to the investors that you target. Uh, they can be both, you know, foundational, but as well, they can be aspirational. They really represent a way for firms to become stronger now, but also set, set a firm up to be, you know, ever stronger in the future. So, you know, sort of regardless of the, of the scenario in which you're going to deploy the engines, you know, just consider how the growth engines can provide, you know, value in almost any situation where you interact with clients or plan for future growth of the firm. Well, Mike, that is precisely our plan for the rest of this second season of FinPoint. The next four episodes of FinPoint are actually going to include guests who are going to help me explore and explain each of these growth engines in turn to illustrate how to put them to work in practical ways to drive value for customers and create growth for firms. So super exciting. Before we wrap episode one, which I really, really enjoyed, by the way, Mike, let me just say thank you for your deep insights on the growth engines. So happy to have you here. Oh, thank you, Mark. It's a delight to be here and uh, look forward to keeping track of the whole season here. Fantastic. And you're not off the hook yet because we're going to close season two by asking you to come back in episode six for a discussion about how the four growth engines can work as one to help facilitate growth and help firms become better, which is what it's all about. I look forward to coming back. Fantastic. So join me next time on FinPoint as we further explore today's new approaches and thinking behind finding more ways for you to grow your firms and your businesses. I'm Mark Squires. Thanks so much for listening. To listen to any FinPoint episode, please visit go.fidelity.com slash FinPoint or search for us on iTunes or Google Play. FinPoint is a production of Fidelity Investments. Any reproduction, transcription, or rebroadcasts of this content are forbidden without explicit permission.
Information provided in this program is for informational and educational purposes only. To the extent any information in this material is deemed to be a recommendation, it is not meant to be impartial investment advice or advice in a fiduciary capacity, and is not intended to be used as a primary basis for you or your client's investment decisions. Fidelity and its representatives may have a conflict of interest in the products and or services mentioned in this material because they have a financial interest in them and receive compensation, directly or indirectly, in connection with the management, distribution, and or servicing of these products or services, including fidelity funds, certain third-party funds and products, and certain investment services. Views expressed are the date of the recording, based on the information available at that time, and may change based on market or other conditions. Unless otherwise noted, the opinions provided are those of the speakers, and not necessarily those of Fidelity Investments or its affiliates. Fidelity does not assume any duty to update any of this information. Fidelity Institutional provides investment products through Fidelity Distributors Company, LLC, clearing custody or other brokerage services through National Financial Services, LLC, or Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, members NYSE, SIPC. Copyright 2020, FMR, LLC. All rights reserved. Reference number 1012820.1.0.